It's time for another edition of Chip Chat with Chip Gibbons, journalist whose work has appeared in The Nation, Jacobin, Truthout, and The Washington Post. Chip is also the policy and legal counsel at Defending Rights in Dissent. Hello, Chip. Welcome back. Hello. It's great to be here. It's, uh, it's been a while. It has been. It has been. That's because you've been busy. Now, I've been busy. I've when been Chip busy. is when Chip is on the show for Chip Chat, the views he expresses are his own, not of the organization he works for. Today, though, we are talking about a product from that organization, something you've been working on. Uh, it's an exhaustive report on recent FBI First Amendment abuses. This is the first real comprehensive report since an inspector general review nearly a decade ago. Chip, I didn't read the report. I'm just going to assume that everything's fine. The FBI hasn't done any First Amendment abuses over the last decade. They are sticking to the Constitution. Yeah, um, that's not actually a very good assumption to make. Um, you, your viewers <laughs> might, or listeners might be shocked to learn. I mean, in the last decade, roughly, since, since September 2010, you know, we know through information in the public domain that the FBI used its counterterrorism authority to monitor Occupy Wall Street. It clearly infiltrated Black Lives Matter protest. It has released the most ridiculous intelligence assessment um, imaginable on quote-unquote black identity extremism. Black identity extremism basically treats black dissent as, as a precursor to violence. It argues that because of perceptions of of, of racism and police violence, that African Americans could engage in quote unquote retaliatory lethal violence against police. And if you treat, you know, opposing police violence, opposing racism as a, as a, as a precursor to, you know, quote unquote retaliatory lethal violence, that's giving people carte blanche to, to, to spy on dissent. Uh, we also apparently know that the FBI had an iron, a program called Iron Fist to mitigate the threat of black identity extremism. We also know that there are uh, FBI surveillance of um, numerous anti-pipeline activists. The FBI was most certainly at Standing Rock, including with its in, in, informants. It also collaborated with a private intelligence company called Tiger Swan. We know that an abolished ICE activist who was being deported, FBI agents came to visit him and, and told him that he was being deported because he was a bad person and the people he hung out with in Occupy ICE for bad people, but that if he talked to the FBI, his situation could be easier. Um, and, you know, we know they've been visiting students who, Students for Justice in Palestine members, asking them questions. And, and we also know that just days after, literally something like four days after the OIG report was published, the FBI raided the homes of a bunch of anti-war and solidarity activists in, in the Midwest. So in the last nine years, we've seen abuse after abuse. Um, you know, when they get coverage in the media, they're treated as isolated incidents, usually like, oh, look, the FBI did this thing. There's there's never a lot of connection to, to other abuses. I mean, sometimes with pipeline protesters, the Guardian has covered that issue very well. They'll be like, oh, you know, they spied on other pipeline protesters. But there's never this sense that, you know, FBI informants at Standing Rock are, you know, part of a larger systemic problem that makes it connected to, you know, FBI home visits of, of 
Palestinian Solidarity Activist. And what the report does by compiling all of this information in one place is points out that the problem is fairly systemic. It's widespread. Uh, the FBI has since 2010 continuously used its counterterrorism authorities to spy on First Amendment protected political expression and that it, you know, clearly tends to single out certain types of speech for scrutiny. Uh, being against war is not popular with the FBI. Being for economic justice is not popular with the FBI. Being against racism is apparently not popular with the FBI. So that there's a clear problem of political bias with the FBI. And if you want to go back beyond just 10 years um, to, you know, the whole history of the FBI, they do this time and time again, and the pattern of singling out particular points of view and particular groups is very, very clear. One of so the clearly, I was going to say yeah. one of the more shocking examples uh, that you cited in the report was about, and you detail a lot of how the FBI harasses the Muslim community in America, particularly by using informants, and we can get back to that. Uh, later, but one of the more shocking examples was allegations of of voter suppression against the Muslim community in 2016, right before the election, showing up in across eight states asking people if they had any Al Qaeda connections, and which appeared to be ridiculous questions uh, on the face, and I, I, somehow that totally flew under the radar for me. And I just really appreciate you finding that and yeah, think that's a particularly it, it, shocking example. It's one of those stories that popped up. I, I think it made some mainstream media very, very briefly. And I mean, that's always the problem. There's like sometimes if the media is doing a halfway decent job, you'll see some brief mention of this. And then it just goes away. But what, what happened was, was the weekend before the 2016 election, the FBI visited people in, I think, about eight states, and they asked them questions about a vague terror plot. All of those people were American Muslims of Pakistani or Afghan descent, and they were asked if they knew al-Qaeda leaders killed in a U.S. airstrike or if they knew about a potential al-Qaeda pre-election terror plot. And CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, alleged that this was, this was voter intimidation. You keep mentioning the FBI being political. Let's be clear about that. The groups they've monitored, peace and solidarity groups, racial justice, economic justice, environmental movements, these are all, the common thread here is that they, for the most part, exist on the left. And yeah. I'm sure that someone, including yourself, could probably find a few a handful of examples somewhere of perhaps right-wing speech being curbed by FBI activity. But the vast majority of the targets are on the left. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, we, we've had this discussion before. There are incidents of FBI you know, using informants against people on these right-wing militias in, in ways that are, are unsettling. And there was a, a COINTELPRO program against the Ku Klux Klan, but it was significantly less vicious than that against the um, um, the Black Panthers. And that's not my opinion. That's the findings of the Church Committee, uh, that it was significantly less vicious and actually targeted people who were, who were violent, but it was still a, a problematic endeavor. Um, but the disproportionate amount of surveillance 
are groups on the left. And I think that you have to really step back. And this is something that a lot of people for some reason don't don't really get. But political repression is political, right? It, it's not this idea that, you know, whenever you have different points of views that are strange, the nature of power is such that it will do this or that, you know, the FBI doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists to uphold the status quo. And what types of groups threaten the status quo? You know, it's, it's, it's the groups that are challenging the influence of uh, pipeline corporations on our democracy. It's the groups that are challenging the U.S.'s endless wars. It's, it's those types of groups. It's not just like, oh, you know, centralized power, we don't like speech, which is this sort of liberal or libertarian argument you hear sometimes that it completely depoliticizes political repression in a way that I find most peculiar. Yeah, and uh, even if the FBI is actively pursuing white nationalists, which, as we've said, I'm sure they are doing that in some capacity. But as you noted in your report, there was there was an and I'm just saying this for the benefit of, of for people who haven't read it yet. But there was an incident uh, when white nationalist reactionaries uh, were confronted by anti-fascists in Sacramento uh, a few of the anti-fascists were stabbed. I believe the majority of the charges went against anti-fascists that day. And in one of the FBI documents, they said <laughs> they said something like the Ku Klux Klan, which is a group that a group that some say is a white supremacist <laughs> group. And that just that was honestly that was very jarring. The KKK consisted of members that some perceived to be supportive of a white supremacist <laughs> agenda. That's quote from the FBI document. That's beautiful. Uh, the really other kicker here is that the group in question was not the Ku Klux Klan. It was the Traditionalist Workers Party. Right, right, so right. The FBI um, <laughs> being very with it. Uh, you know, they have all these surveillance powers, and they can't even get the name of the group right. Thank you. But on yes. top of that, I mean, it's actually worse. Like, if they were like the Traditionalist Workers Party, I, I, I could possibly see that somebody at the FBI had, had, had never heard of them before <laughs> and was, you know, writing something stupid without thinking first. But I think everyone knows who the Ku Klux Klan is, um, and it's, you know, it's, you know, everyone and and you can also imagine that they know every single offshoot group from black lives matter or (laughs) every environmental group and every name for it and every faction of it across the country they've taxonomied that and have listed everywhere but when it comes to these right-wing groups, ah, they're all the same. They can be quite sloppy sometimes with, 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 even with the left, with, with getting groups confused and not distinguishing between groups or thinking certain groups are the same. I, yeah. I, 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 the FBI, I mean, having read a lot of FBI documents, um, they're surprisingly not with it sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I have seen things like, oh, this group is the same as that group. And it's like, no, they're not. So uh, I I wanted to bring up another interesting aspect of uh, the report is not just the politics of it, although I suppose uh, you can never not really get away from the politics uh, in a a philosophical sense. But I, I, I wanted to bring up some of the techniques because informants... 
uh, the Joint Terrorism Task Force. They come up a lot in this report, and I just wanted to hear what are your thoughts on on these things. Sure. So I think that there's a lot of focus right now amongst activists about high-tech surveillance. You see a lot of concern about like what the NSA is doing and, and people should be very concerned about that, where you see attempts to sort of um, get transparency about whether or not police have cell site stimulators and all these like really high-tech things that, that spy on people. But I mean, and this is also true of, 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 you know, the Hoover era. A lot of the attention is on um, wiretaps and electronic surveillance. But as historian Aaron Leonard pointed out about that period, the bulk of it was with informants. And today, informants are still a huge problem. And so there, there's two things. I mean, the FBI can send uh, an undercover agent into a group, or they have people who are not FBI agents who are usually sometimes paid, who are informants and are in informing on the groups. This is what's called human intelligence or human sources. And, you know, I can have an encrypted text message, but if the guy I'm sending it to is an FBI informant, it doesn't matter what kind of encryption I use. And I think people have really sort of lost sight of human intelligence and, and the threat that that poses. And I think that the other disturbing thing is, is that, as, as you two know, but some of the listeners might not know, in the last couple of decades, informants have moved beyond just gathering information, although they always played a destructive role. And, and you know, people think an informant probably drugged Fred Hampton when the police killed him. Um, but they've increasingly moved into this role of agents provocateurs, where you have informants suggesting terror plots to people that are not real and then, you know, sort of pushing them into it being like, oh, I'll give you a BMW if you do this. And and we increasingly are seeing that the informants are acting as agents provocateurs. The FBI calls these sting operations. They then sort of intervene, arrest the people who would, you know, never have been involved with law enforcement if not for being targeted by law enforcement, and they're like, look at us, we got this big terror prosecution. And that's really very disturbing and, and very unsettling. I think most people are troubled by it, but, you know, the courts have been unwilling to find that in most cases, any of these instances um, constitute entrapment. Entrapment is an affirmative defense to a criminal charge. Um, and in one instance that I know of, and interestingly enough, this is one of the two cases that Donald Trump cited as justification in his Muslim ban. Both of the cases mentioned in the executive order, uh, the second executive order for the Muslim ban as quote-unquote justification for it, involve FBI agents provocateur. I think that's, that's important to note. But a judge found it to be an example of quote-unquote imperfect entrapment, which is not a defense, but it is, it is a, an argument for uh, a lesser sentence at, at, at sentencing. Um, not to get overly technical with with legal terms, it, and then oh, the other. I, yeah, I just wanted on. to say about the about the informant thing. Uh, another thing that's really disturbing about that is you can educate people about never talking to law enforcement without your lawyer present. You know, uh, an overt FBI agent knocking on your door and asking you questions is scary, but like there is protocol for dealing with that however when they're sending these covert agents to 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 basically be an FBI agent uh effectively 
you have no way of knowing how, uh, you know, and self-incrimination is, is, is way easier than, and as we know, the FBI and law enforcement can take things out of context, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really dark. We have like a secret police force operating in this country, a parallel fucking dark FBI, something like 20,000 informants. And I know I bring this up all the time when we talk, but it just scares the fucking shit out of me. Didn't it we, sucks. Last, last time we talked, weren't we talking about informants trying to sleep with their we're target's wives? We're always talking about informants. <laughs> we're, we're always talking about informants. So every time I see Sam, like if I pass him by at the intersection, <laughs> he stops me in the middle of the street to, to, to you know, talk about informants. <laughs> Really, so, it really bugs me, man. It really. No, fun. I know, I know. You should be disturbed. You should always be talking about informants. It's uh, not a uh, criticism, just an objective statement of fact. Federal, Federal Bureau of Informants, am I right? It really is. So, Chip, the report notes that a majority of the contemporary First Amendment abuses has taken place under the guise of counterterrorism investigations. It goes back to 9-11, and how the FBI shifted from a law enforcement agency concerned with criminal investigations to more of an intelligence agency concerned with counterterrorism. Of course, in a previous age, the Bureau's primary concern also drifted back when it was, I guess, focused on mobsters, drifted toward counter-communism, which yeah, led to a lot of the same abuses that we're seeing today, and then congressional hearings, and then reform, and now here we are back again uh, how, is it possible to stop this drift that the FBI always seems to find itself in? So I think a really important thing to note is that when most people think of the FBI, they think of them as a law enforcement agency, right? Um, I haven't done the Gallup survey, but if you ask someone on the street, what is the FBI? Um, other than looking at you like, who is this person and why are they asking, what is the FBI? Um, they would say a law enforcement agency. But the FBI is both a law enforcement and an intelligence agency, and it always has been. The FBI was formed in 1908 as the Bureau of Investigation, and in the you know late World War One era, shortly after that maybe, they formed the General Intelligence Division. The original name of the General Intelligence Division is the Radical Division. And if you actually look at most red squads in the country, which are forming around this time, they too have have intelligence in their name. And um, pop quiz, do you know, or uh, Jeopardy trivia question, do you know who was head of the General Intelligence Division in 1919? Was it J. Edgar Hoover? It was J. Edgar Hoover. That's how he got his start at the FBI. Uh, so Hoover you were right. Actually, and you answered in the form of a question, Sam. <laughs> Bow, 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 no, bow. that would have been who was J. Edgar Hoover. I guess, yeah, we'll we'll count it though. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, um, but but no, um, so J. Edgar Hoover's start is in the intelligence part of the FBI, and the intelligence part of the FBI is not interested in investigating crime. It's inter at this point, it's interested in policing political subversion. And in 1924, Harlan Fisk Stone is the attorney general for, I believe, the Harding administration. Interestingly enough, he goes on to be a very uh, progressive Supreme Court justice after this. And he makes J. Edgar Hoover meet with Roger Baldwin, the head of the ACLU then. And he's very concerned about what he's hearing about the FBI. And he tells Hoover that they have to 
um, limit themselves to investigating violations of the uh, federal criminal code, which is what I think most people think the FBI is doing. Uh, they get around that in a number of ways. But then in the 30s, there's a number of executive orders that give the FBI explicit national security powers to police subversion. And these, and the thing about this is, I mean, it's not a crime to be subversive. It's, 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 it's not a criminal matter. And when you get to the FBI's most infamous abuse, COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program, you know, the FBI actually creates COINTELPRO in 1956 because they think the Supreme Court's getting too liberal and it's making it more difficult to prosecute communists, both under the Smith Act, but also for these sorts of process violations like perjury or, or, or things like that. So they come up with a program designed to disrupt the speech of people who are admittedly engaging in no criminal conduct. Like the entire thesis of COINTELPRO is we cannot charge these people with crimes, so we have to disrupt them. Uh, interestingly enough, the thing about COINTELPRO is that the church committee report believes the name, name counterintelligence is a misnomer uh, and, that the, and that the program wasn't an intelligence program, but a domestic covert action. And, and that's what it is. It's about going into groups and disrupting them. So, so the FBI, for several decades, uh, from the mid-late 50s to the early 70s, was running a domestic covert action program in the U.S. And this was in addition to all of their other domestic intelligence activities. Um, they also have what's called the Security Index and the Reserve Index, which are, in theory, indexes of people to be detained in the event of an emergency without a trial, which is very, very disturbing. And, um, I mean, Hoover actually tries to get uh, Truman to use that during the um, Korean War, but it's also a pretext for mass political surveillance and that by updating the list every year, you have to spy on these people at the time. And, you know, in, in 1955, the FBI had 26,174 people on the security index. And by 1960, um, looking at, 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 at all of the indexes, you know, the FBI had opened 430,000 files on subversive groups and individuals. And since we're... And that's outside of COINTELPRO. That's, that's people sort of want to collapse all of the political surveillance into COINTELPRO. Uh, COINTELPRO is, is obviously very disturbing. It's probably the, the most disturbing thing the FBI did, but it's not the same as, as FBI political surveillance. It's a particular covert action program that the FBI undertook. And if you ever look at people who are subject of security investigations, you know, they'll have like a 600-page FBI file, and like one of the pages will be marched to COINTELPRO, and that will be the FBI doing something, some sort of dirty trick, like, you know, sending letters to the radio station, anonymous letters to the radio station, like, hey, did you know this guy is a drunkard or something like that? And uh, since we're talking about history, I felt... Uh, compelled to invoke all the weenies who complain about Edward Snowden and the fact that we only know about COINTELPRO, maybe not only know, but the way we found out a lot about COINTELPRO was people literally breaking in 
to an FBI office uh, while a heavyweight fight was going on and no one was watching uh, the office. They were all watching the Thrilla in Manila or which one was it, Sax? I think that was I it. Don't, I, but anyway, we, we know about this because of a break, a, a crime, a breaking and entering. Which, Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI. Yeah. Fantastic Back tale. in the old days. The things you're capable and of. And they uh, certainly did investigate are. the FBI. And and they kept quiet about who did it for a long time until recently. They they started speaking out After about it. After the statute limitations was up. PBS documentary, um, which interestingly enough, I saw a screening of uh, at, at the Congress. Um, because why not? Um, <laughs> so just, you know, these people who think like, you know, Edward Snowden is, is 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 a traitor. Are also very excited about you know this PBS documentary about you know people who literally broke into a building. Um, yeah, and they they took a thousand pages of documents and and they had CoinTelPro on them. And this p- helps to lead the revelations about CoinTelPro. Crime the is cr- this, cr- crime can be good except when the FBI does it. Then it's extremely bad. Yes. Yes, it is. So when these are all, uh, all these things that are documented in this report have been reported on, the FBI knows that we know <laughs> that they've been engaged in these activities. They read the report. And yeah, supposedly. as I was going to say, we as we were setting up this interview, you told us the FBI had requested uh, a copy of this report. Have they from shared? The Intercept. From the, they didn't request it from us. The Intercept did a, a article on the report, and they asked the FBI for comment, and the FBI said it wasn't fair to them to comment without having the report. So I said, you know, send them the report. Have, have, have they um, commented? Yeah, they gave like a very generic comment. It's, it's just in the Intercept article. It, it's something like, you know, we, we love the First Amendment or something <laughs> like that. I don't, I don't, I, it, it was not, um, it was not anything, you know, like Chip Gibbons is a communist or anything like that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, uh, You're going to have to file a FOIA for that after, one. This is, from, this is from The Intercept. After reviewing the report, a spokesperson for the FBI wrote in a statement to to the intercept that every activity the FBI conducts must uphold the Constitution and be carried out in accordance with federal laws. The spokesperson added that the Bureau's investigative activities may not be based solely, note the word solely, <laughs> solely. on the exercise of rights guaranteed by the First Amendment and that its methods are subject to multiple layers of oversight. And then uh, Alice Sperry, who wrote, is a brilliant reporter and wrote an excellent uh, article in the report as well, goes on to say, on its website, the Bureau calls the Palmer Raids certainly not a bright spot for the young Bureau, but adds, <laughs> but adds that, they did, that it, they did allow it to gain valuable experience in yeah. terrorism investigations and intelligence work and learn important lessons about the need to protect civil liberties and constitutional rights by, by, by engaging in one of the most egregious violations of civil liberties, we learned how to better protect them. Look, if it wasn't for the Palmer raids, Emma Goldman would have never been able to do uh, on-the-ground reporting in the Soviet Union. <laughs> Uh, Chip, at the end of the report, there are a number of recommendations. None of them are to just abolish the FBI, but you do discuss reforming their charter. Well, so the FBI doesn't have a charter. The FBI has no legislative charter. Um, 
that should disturb you. There's been multiple attempts to try to get them to have one. I believe one was proposed in the late 70s, but instead of having a charter, uh, they just operate under the Attorney General guidelines. The current guidelines are quite loose. So what we propose is that there should be a legislative charter, a statutory charter, and that it should put limits on what the FBI can do, its use of informants, its use of agent provocateurs. You shouldn't be able to initiate or conduct an investigation that would involve the collection of information about like speech unless there were specific and articulable facts reasonably indicating that the subject of the investigation has engaged in, is engaging in, or is about to engage in a federal criminal offense. And that, you know, you would have to take into account the magnitude of the offense versus the threat to civil liberties. And I, I just checks on when when infiltration can can happen as well. Um, you should also be able to have like a judicial remedy here. It's very difficult to sue uh, over being over political surveillance because the courts um, say you have to show a harm and that like, hey, I was spied on is in itself a harm. So it allows them to avoid ruling on, on the merits. Um, so, And then also Congress, I, I, I don't know if you've heard of them before, but apparently they exist and could possibly be doing something. Um, I only know them by the clowns in Congress. Con- Congress is afraid, they're too afraid to push the FBI on this because they know if they get the FBI director uh, before committee and they ask that they ask for a charter uh, they'll respond, Charter, I barely even know her. Hilarious. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, I mean, Congress really I'll just show has, myself out of this interview early. <laughs> has, has really dropped the ball. I mean, one of the things that I stress throughout the report is, hey, we know all these things, but also we don't know a lot of things. Like, a lot of the stuff we know actually raises more questions and it gives us answers like how did this investigation get started in the first place why was this group singled out what's in all these redacted pages and you know congress you know once again a little known institution but apparently it has subpoena power and and could you know actually be doing something to what extent do you think they are Afraid, and I guess I don't want you to be too speculative here. I'm already regretting uh, starting this question. But I know the question you're going to ask. They're afraid I of the will... J. Edgar Hoover effect of maybe being spied on if they pry too hard into the FBI. That Was that what you were going to say? So I, I, I don't give speculative answers, but I will tell you a story. When I went to the U.S. Capitol to watch the PBS documentary about... Um, the people who broke into the FBI building, John Conyers, uh, was there, and he said that one of the reasons why the church committee was possible was that J. Edgar Hoover was dead, mm. and that people were afraid of him. And th- that was that was very jarring for me 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 to hear. Um, so that is the opinion of John Conyers, former congressman, obviously a problematic individual, but for for a long time in Congress, a opponent of the FBI and of political surveillance. Chip, I believe a victim of it as well. People can read this report over at Defending Rights and Dissent. Any final thoughts you want to uh, impart on them as they go and find this report and read it? I mean, I think the 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 
takeaway is that these instances of political surveillance are not isolated. They're part of a larger pattern, and that pattern is deeply seated in the FBI. We, we know that the FBI engaged in the abuses of the Hoover era, and then after that, after the Church Committee in the 80s, is then spying on opponents of Ronald Reagan's foreign policy, <laughs> and that they get around restrictions in place by using secretive foreign counterintelligence guidelines as opposed to domestic security guidelines by coming up with this cockamamie uh, theory that these people are somehow connected to international terrorism. So, you know, the FBI seems to have a strong desire to spy on political speech and is willing to go through great logical loopholes to come up with justifications to do so. Maybe there's a problem with the FBI. Agreed. Chip Gibbons, journalist, policy and legislative counsel at Defending Rights in Dissent. One of the authors. Are you the sole author? Is this a group thing? I am What's the, the deal? sole author. Jeez, I am, you put a lot I am, of work I am, into this. I've been not going to tell you how long I've been working on this for. Um, it's longer than you can even imagine. Uh, but yeah, if you want to read the report, go to rightsanddissent.com backslash FBI hyphen spine. A very easy to remember URL. The report is titled, Still Spying on Dissent, the Enduring Problem of FBI First Amendment Abuse. Follow Chip on Twitter at ChipGibbons89. One last question, Chip. Have you seen the new Joker movie? (laughs) I did see the new Joker movie. Whoa, twisted. Um, um, It inspired me to, I think, make my own dark and gritty movie about a goose that menaces a small English village. Damn. What wow. Is, is this uh, the society we really live in? It is. Yes. Chip. Uh, I, I was, I, 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 that was a tweet already. So um, you're missing my best tweets, Sam. Uh, well, I have not the seen... The Joker goose tie-in tweet was, was a classic. I, I haven't seen the movie yet, so uh, I'm going to have to wait. If, if I'm not mistaken, that take would not be possible, but for some dipshit in Slate.com or something. <laughs> oh, no, I might be, I might be missing, messing up my takes here. Uh, the Atlantic. Someone came out with an anti-goose take in The Atlantic. Is this related I to the goose video that. game? I did not bother to read that. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've found the goose game very, very addictive. There's something very satisfying about being a go- goose and ripping all of the pumpkins out of a pumpkin patch and Man. putting them in this man's yard so he throws them in his neighbor's yard <laughs> I re- and then I re- stealing his teapot. Wow, I need to, uh, I need to get this game. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't I don't want to turn this into an ad for the, the goose game. I honestly but, don't wow. know why the goose game is getting so much buzz when the goat game barely got any buzz. Go- when goat simulator. Is this that's the true. FBI goat game you're referring to? I don't know if it's no, the no, FBI. No. No, it's some goat simulator. It's you're called goat, goat Simulator. And you're walking uh, around the city. There's also an FBI goat game that was mentioned in the report. That's right. I, I it was, it was, it was not Islamophobic. Well uh, you're a goat and you have to avoid running into blocks. And every time you, you run into, you don't run into a block, you learn a fact about violent extremism i think it, it, it sounds like one of those uh, oh, oh, oh no you get a sample text of distorted logic used by foreign terrorist as a reward for accomplishing each of the levels it, it sounds like Somebody one of those came up with this it sounds like one of those choose your own adventure books and every page you turn to is something islamophobic it's 
um, like selectively quoting passages from the Quran to prove some very twisted, it, fucked up, bigoted point. It's not even that complex. It's 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 like you know they do it, we should do it too. It's like an example of like distorted logic, I think. And it's like, oh, okay. Damn, out logic yeah. by the goat. Well, it's, it's part of a whole uh, larger game called Don't Be a Puppet, which if you complete at the end, you get a certificate from James Comey. <laughs> who, who, they used to have a video of him. I think they probably got rid of it in, in the game. Who knows? And he introduced himself as Jim, because that's the cool name he uses when he mm, talks to the yeah. kids. Very yeah. relatable Jim. Yeah. Naturally, this exists uh, on our timeline. This is real. <laughs> Chip Gibbons, thanks again for Game doing reviewer. this. Yes. We'll talk to you uh, again soon. Yeah, I have something else, another long-term project I've been working on since 2015 that I Ooh. think is about to come to a close. Do you want to give a teaser now, or do you want to it's just wait? Hinted, nope, nope, nope. You just nope, did. Nope. No teaser. It's, it's, it's hinted at in the report. Okay. You read between, if you can figure that out. But um, if, I guess we'll see. Yeah, okay. Well, if you actually... Re record yourself reading the report and then play it backwards. You get the <laughs> intro to your next report. Yes, yes, yes. Thank All you, right. Chip. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs>